Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Topic that is really in the midst of everything we encounter today is the New Age. Perhaps we don't always realize it from Fortune 500 companies and their push uh, to be successful. Uh, A lot of the language from whether it be motivational speakers that are brought in, whether it be self-realization books, uh, manifesting, and manifesting is very mainstream today. And just head over to YouTube and you can be watching a video on just about anything and an ad comes up for manifesting more money. And it doesn't seem like it's a spiritual thing. It's just one of those things that people say, hey, make more money, manifest it. It's really interesting to me uh, to see how commonplace the new age has become. And two areas of interest I'd like to dive into today with my guest are the idea that everything in the world is divine in the new age movement, uh, taking out God essentially and replacing God with you and me, which has been done before Tower of Babel, um, not to mention the fact that this is exactly what the temptation of the devil in the garden was toward Adam and Eve. We're also going to tie that New Age connection into yoga and kind of some of those beliefs are actually heresies uh, that the Catholic Church teaches against. You're listening to Trending with Timory. We're also going to talk about the new variety cover, Penn Badgley. You may know him from Netflix show You, fourth season was just released, and he's talking about how he is putting his foot down, uh, requesting fewer sex scenes and saying this is not something he wants to do anymore. Makes him feel extremely uncomfortable. Also, do you have any plans for Lent? If so, what? Head over to social media. I would love to hear from you and hear what you have planned for this Lent. Might even give an idea to someone else uh, listening today. Okay, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Joining me now is Brian Mercier. He's the president of Catholic Truth. You can find him at catholictruth.org and very candid in addressing a lot of the current uh, crises in our culture, including the New Age. Brian, welcome to Trending. I'm excited to talk about the New Age with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about it as well. It's an interesting topic that uh, actually ruffles a lot of feathers because it's very deep-seated within our culture today. Uh, I've seen you even mention that it has even infiltrated its way into some of um, the Catholic um 
prayer books and meditations, which is surprising sometimes. I actually went to a monastery, uh, gosh, I think about four or five years ago, stopped off on the side of the road, saw there was a sign for a hermitage, beautiful location, a kind, kind people. But there were a lot of new age books in the actual Catholic bookstore at the monastery. My jaw just about dropped that that was something that was happening in our Catholic bookstores. It was really the first time I had realized uh, that that was a thing um, within the Catholic sometimes tradition where we try to Catholicize different um, pagan religions, essentially. Uh, so I want to talk about it and kind of help people understand where this language sounds really nice and fluffy. And sometimes we mistakenly incorporate it either into our prayer life, or maybe we're using it for business practice purposes, but actually is the antithesis of Catholicism in and of itself. And I'd like to dive into some of those key themes um, coming from New Age that we might not quite realize are impacting us. Yeah, that's a great point. Every point you made was great. And in fact, I wrote a book called Counterfeit Spirituality, Exposing the False Gods on the New Age Movement. And the reason I wrote it in the first place was because I was working at a church at the time. And the people who were working for the church came up to me and said, hey, you should get the 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 youth you need to get them involved here have them read a course in miracles or have them read the secret by rhonda byrne and they were recommending these new age books to me <laughs> and they these are the people who were working for the church and they couldn't even recognize the fact that these were new age and not authentically catholic likewise about the same time i went on an eight hour retreat at a Catholic retreat house, and it was called Become What You Already Are. And a Jesuit priest spent eight hours talking about how we are divine, truly divine, and how we can reach divine enlightenment through Kabbalah, through Zen Buddhism, and through yoga. And there wasn't anything discernibly Catholic. And I looked around, and I saw about a 100 people at this retreat all smiling ear to ear. They loved what they were digesting. <laughs> but the fact is, not one of them had a problem with this grossly misrepresented um, heresy, as you said earlier in the <laughs> show. <laughs> and so we have all of these um, people who are preaching these things, and they're not authentically Catholic from A Course in Miracles, New Age Movement, Yoga, Reiki, Centering Prayer, and many things that might seem Christian, but in fact are not. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the ideas, and we'll talk about the drama of yoga. And I say the drama of yoga because I think it's a very dramatic topic. A lot of people use it for exercise, and again, feathers are ruffled when we bring up this topic. And I think sometimes when we get really defensive, it's a sign that we need to pull back and prayerfully discern something or take into consideration another perspective. And I get it. I grew up dancing. I grew up in the fitness world. Um, Yoga was something that I was exposed to. It was something that was a normal part of some of the um, curriculum that, you know, I was trained in at times, um, some of the intensive dance programs. And so it's something I think that needs to be addressed and discussed. And we'll set that aside later. But we're going to tie into that. And I ask that you have an open mind, if, you know, maybe yoga is something that you're doing in your life, uh, as to why there are some concern and highlights, which we've discussed here on Trending before. Brian, let's talk a little bit about this whole idea within um, the new age that everything is divine and how that's often confused um, with Catholic teaching on how God is calling us to become like him. 
Yeah, there's actually three principles of the New Age movement. The first one is called monism, and that is the fact that everything in the universe is one. The second is pantheism, that we are all divine. And then the third one is becoming that divinity, and I'll come back to that in a second. But the first one is uh, oneness, and you'll hear people say, oh, we're all one, or you know, we all make up the one universe, or we're all one body. You know, And there's some truth to that, but what they mean is there's actually no difference between a rock and a microphone, you, me, and the stars. We are all the exact same thing because they believe that everything comes from energy. In fact, they see God as an energy force. And God is permeating this universe with his energy. And so, in fact, if everything in the universe comes from God or comes from this energy and is made up of this energy, then that oneness isn't just about me and you in a tree and a microphone being one, but that also means that we are one with God himself. And this is the the central principle of the New Age movement is that we are divine. We are God, or we are gods, as the, the devil said in the garden. And our goal is to become God again, because there's different theories here and there's different philosophies and ideologies in the New Age movement. Some say that we have forgotten that we are God and so we have to reclaim our divinity. Some say that when we became human, we got trapped in this human body and we have to free ourselves from the karma and from the suffering and from the illusion of this world. Some will say that this world doesn't even exist. It's purely an illusion. In fact, once we attain spiritual enlightenment and once we attain God consciousness, we will realize that this world, pain, suffering, all of it never even existed in the first place. The only thing that exists is God. And we've just forgotten that. We have to come back to that. And so if we remove the masks of fear, of loneliness, of depression, and just get by all of this, we're going to realize that it's all illusory. And this is what the New Age movement means by true self and false self. And In fact, Father Basil Pennington, a Catholic priest, wrote a whole book called True Self, False Self. And the false self is the self that we've created on this earth. It's full of suffering, it's full of fear and depression, and it's all an illusion. Whereas the true self, with a capital S, is our divine self, who we truly are. And when we reach what Buddha reached, which was nirvana, divine enlightenment, we're going to realize that we are one with all that is, and we never were part of this world in the first place. That's the nutshell. Yeah. And what's interesting is that if you really like drill down on what nirvana is, nirvana is a state of nothingness. So at the end of the day, if we're all one, well, no one's anything really. And then the (laughs) end goal is nothingness. And it's really fascinating, but it stems from that monism, as you're talking about, and then followed up on the pantheism. It's really interesting to see, like, it's kind of a bleak understanding at the end of the day of who we are, although it sounds, in theory, really nice. And I think that that's the problem, is that if we aren't really taking it any further, if we're not really kind of diving deep, thinking through what it is people are saying in this new age teaching, um, again, we kind of just fall by the wayside. And yeah, I think that this new age theory, I'll call it a theory, is in part what also is behind much of this crisis between femininity and masculinity in the culture, um, that there's a crisis of 
us saying there's no such thing as a male and female, right and wrong, good and evil, because if everything's the same, if we're all one, well, then there's no distinction. So who am I or who are you to put any boundary or limit on your self-expression or your self-manifestation because you're just living God out in yourself and whatever you think you're experiencing must be what and who God is. There it is. That's exactly right. And in fact, as you said at the beginning of the show, many people might find this kind of preposterous from a Catholic point of view, but what they don't realize is that all of the best-selling books or many of the best-selling books today, um, leaders in the country, people who are brought in, Fortune 500 Cubs, I mean, the top speakers in the country all endorse these things. Uh, Marianne Williamson, who ran for president of the United States, endorses this. She says that we and God are the same thing. Eckhart Tolle, A Course in Miracles, Wayne Dyer, some of the biggest speakers in the country are promoting this. And they're saying that there is no good and evil. There is only good. There's no right and wrong. There's only love. And therefore, there's no sin. There's no hell. There's just God. And this is demonic in a sense, because once we start saying that there's no hell, that there's no sin, there's no wrong, there's no bad. And in fact, I have whole books here. Uh, Conversations with God is another bestseller by Neil Donald Walsh. And he says that Hitler did not go to hell first because hell doesn't exist. Second, because he didn't do anything wrong, there's right and wrong are really just constructs that we've made. I mean, can we see how dangerous this is? And this is being propagated at the highest levels of our country. And as you said, it leads into no male and female, no gender and many other things as well. Or who am I to say that abortion is wrong? You know, if even, again, this is spiritualizing the idea of abortion. You know, if I'm God and even my child is God, you know, maybe this is the destiny for this child. And this is just the way I'm helping this child to achieve it. And, you know, because of that, abortion's really not that wrong. Yeah. And in fact, we can justify any number of sins that we want through this kind of teaching. And there's a lady, Sharon Lee Giganti, who is heavily influenced by this. She used to teach it. She used to live it. She used to breathe it. And she said she was responsible for uh, somebody dying, her brother going to prison for life and all of these things because she got so steeped in what's known as the law of attraction that she didn't Mm want to help anybody. And the law of attraction basically says like attracts like. So if you think positively, you're going to attract positive things to yourself. And of course, there's some truth to this. I mean, if you're a positive person, you know, you might go for that job interview, you might be more inclined to ask a woman out or a man out on a date or whatever. But if you're negative, and you're always depressed, and you don't think you can do anything, yeah, of course, you're not going to have as many opportunities. But this is a far cry from thinking that we are God, that we can create our own realities, as the book, The Secret says, And in fact, the book, The Secret, actually says that we are God in a physical body. It says that you are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. And you are perfection. That's what this book says. Now, notice a lot of these books and a lot of these teachers start off with motivational style teaching to draw Mm. us in. You can have power. You can have money. You can have women. Pretty much whatever you want if you believe positively. But then it goes off the cliff in a sense and basically starts propagating the idea that, no, it's more than that. You're divine and you can create your own reality and nobody's going to judge you at the end of your life except you. 
And that's mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking of the book, The Secret. And for those who don't know, but I think most people are aware, it came out almost 20 years ago by Rhonda Bryan. It's one of the world's best-selling uh, books, has sold tons of copies, millions of copies. And again, it focuses on that law of, in many ways, laws of attraction. And it presents itself as living this joy-filled life. Uh, But in reality, like you're saying, it's all about me becoming God. She even talks about how you're all intelligence. You are all perfection. It, It creates this a crisis, I think, for the individual of, I mean, first and foremost, pride. I and mean, we're throwing out some of the first most fundamental commandments that God gave us. I, I am your God and you shall have it no other. Uh, keep holy the Lord's name, not your name. Um, you know, even, you know, keeping holy the Sabbath day, you know, keeping holy and honoring God on Sunday. And so many people who believe in the new age, um, some will go to church because that sounds nice and that feels good to them because many people practicing new age practices are practicing forms of Christianity, including Catholicism. And they go to church not because of the moral obligation, but because it feels good. And that's what I'm going to do on Sunday. And I know some might come back to you, that sounds a little judgy and critical. It is because we should all have that moment of self-critique of, you know, what are my motives? I remember my sister at one point uh, during COVID, during the lockdowns, and I think after a month or two of not being able to go to mass, she said, wow, it really made me think about, well, apart from going to church on Sunday, how am I Catholic? And when I go to church on Sunday, what else do I do on that day to understand that that's keeping holy the Lord's day? And so there are these moments where we are called to ponder and judge ourselves in terms of our intentions for the sake of purifying them, for the sake of growth. And I think that's an important distinction to make, not to be pointing our fingers, but to engage in that self-reflection. Exactly. And this is countercultural and really the opposite of um, Christianity. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 15 that without me, you can do nothing. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, with Christ, I can do all things. See, the New Age movement says, no, I can just do all things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the Bible right. says it's with Christ we can do all things, and without him, we can't do anything. So I think your sister was good to sit back and reflect. And I think we all need to reflect and humble ourselves before God and realize that we can't do anything without him, and the way to salvation is only through him, whereas the New Age movement's uh, path to salvation is through the self. It usurps the place of God and replaces Mm -hmm. him with self. It usurps the sacraments, the sacraments of church that God instituted. And and aren't we so prideful when we do that usurping, whether it be through the new age movement or any other thing we might do of saying, I can do it on my own. It's a Pelagianism, right? And believing that I can save myself. But again, you mentioned so many um, citations of St. Paul, which remembering St. Paul in the Holy Scripture, that is the inspired word of God. That's the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we focus so often on, okay, St. Paul wrote this book. Um, John wrote this book. The Holy Spirit wrote these books. The Holy Spirit, God said. Uh, we need to kind of remember that. And St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God himself humbled himself 
taking on our humanity and offered himself as a sacrifice. Not saying, hey, look at me, I'm God, I'm wonderful, do as I do, and I'm just going to act perfect. No, he actually allowed himself to be killed. And so that's that reminder for self-sacrifice, obliterating our pride that is so important for us to be living out. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I want to continue the conversation about the new age and actually tied into yoga, which I know I've been there. I did yoga in the past as part of my dance training at times. Um, you know, not throwing stones here saying, hey, if you do yoga, you're a terrible person, but understanding how it's actually a part of a pagan religion and how some of these new age practices are really really harmful. I mean, all new age practices are harmful. So stay with me. Brian Mercier is here with me on Trending. You can find him at catholictruth.org. That's catholictruth.org. I'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. The Catholic Order of Foresters, the sponsor of our studio line, is hiring today. Several positions are available throughout the U.S. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash Foresters to learn more about how you can find your vocation with COF. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not licensed in all states. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We're taking a deep dive today into the New Age and we're tying it into yoga, which I know maybe you're going, oh great, there's that Catholic criticism of yoga. But fun fact, on some examination of consciences, yoga is actually a sin to be confessed. Why? Well, I didn't know this until probably about maybe eight-ish years ago, that yoga is actually part of uh, a pagan worship. I, I had no idea. And I remember when I learned that, my jaw just about dropped. I had no clue uh, that this was part of it. I actually had a dear friend not long after that who had been a Buddhist, and she had uh, grown up Catholic, became a Buddhist, and then was looking, um, got, Jesus just kept really revealing himself to her and drawing her in. And so she goes on this long search to find God and the real religion, and she comes back to Catholicism. I actually have a podcast. I'll have to grab the podcast uh, and link to that in the podcast notes for today's show. Catch at relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Um, but it was a really fascinating journey to hear how she came through all of this, but she really took a deep dive into understanding everything from the way the music is created to the positioning. It's meant to be an act of worship. Now, Grant, I can stretch and do stretches at home. That's great, but that's separate from um, stretching in a yoga class with the verbiage, the specific words, and the music that is, again, part of Buddhist or Hindu worship. And my jaw dropped because I grew up doing yoga in the respect that, you know, growing up in dance programs, I do intensive um, summer programs with dance companies and we'd be dancing eight and 10 hours a day. And one hour of that day might've been a yoga class. Um, I remember even, you know, at our gym growing up, I'd go and take uh, yoga classes on occasion and, and we had no clue. 
absolutely no clue. My mom didn't know. I mean, most people have no clue. And we're, you know, grew up very Catholic. Uh, fun, fun and funny fact. My mom never liked the yoga class. She's like, they put me to sleep. So she said, there's a reason God was protecting me as I was falling asleep. Because she'd actually get up and leave the class because it would make her so sleepy. She'd uh, just want to go to sleep during the classes. Um, but I remember... I really hadn't done any yoga for years, and a friend of mine coming out of college really got involved in yoga. It helped her with a lot of her anxiety she was struggling with. Uh, It helped her with getting fit and healthy, and it was a game changer for her health and a game changer for some of her frustration and anger. Uh, She was doing some of the weightlifting type of yoga classes as well, and and she begged me, Timur, come on, you know, just come and take it. And I I hadn't really known, you know, what the big deal was with yoga. And I remember going, it was the first time kind of this bell started to ring for me where I went, hmm, this seems kind of off. And I remember things were being said like the divine in me bows to the divine in you at the end. And that's, again, that new age idea of, you know, we're all divine, we're all one uh, that we we're just talking about here. And then I remember moments where like they said to put your hands down on the ground and to, you know, kind of press that negative energy and those bad things you're experiencing down to the ground. And I kept thinking, you know, as a Catholic, I want to like turn my palms up and say, here you go, God, I give it all to you rather than like pushing it and forcing it away from me in this weird uh, type of movement. And so lo and behold, all of this came to kind of me understanding and starting to study and understand the problems and challenges with yoga and how it ties into this us trying to become God, that we're all one. And again, that it is actually the ritual of worshiping in the context of Buddhism and Hinduism. And you can't just go and take a yoga class and say, well, I'm Catholic and that doesn't bother me when the words used and the language used are specifically oriented toward an act of worship. So joining me today, because I do want to take a deeper dive into this, is Brian Mercier from catholictruth.org. He's a president of Catholic Truth. You can find him online doing great work. He even wrote a book called Counterfeit Spirituality. Brian, let's talk a little bit more about yoga. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. When I talk to people about yoga and they say, oh, I don't have a problem with yoga and I'm Catholic. The first thing I say is, okay, well, what's yoga? And they say, oh, well, it's just exercise or it's just, you know, limbering up and getting fit. And I said, actually, you know, no offense, but that's exactly what yoga is not. Never in the history of yoga has exercise been a large part of it or any part of it at all up until really the last 100 years and specifically the last 50. And so they say, what do you, what do you mean by that? I said, well, if you look at the history and the goals of what yoga is, historically, the very first use of the words yoga and the concepts of yoga all come from the Hindu scriptures, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads, and different scriptures. And they're all delivered to us humans by the gods. And so the gods have delivered yoga as a way for us to free ourselves from the karma and from the confines of this material world, which are an illusion anyways, and to become one with all that is. Basically what we talked about in our first segment. Now, 
there are many different forms of yoga and there were many different types of yoga. But about 2000 years ago, a sage, a Hindu sage named Patanjali, he took all of the forms and he combined them all together into one kingly form, the most authoritative form of yoga ever made. And he has the most authoritative texts ever written on the subject. And he codified what yoga is. And he said yoga is made up of eight branches, so to speak, of a tree. The first two branches consist of dietary laws, uh, virtue, and studying, basically preparation. The third uh, branch is asana, or what some people might call the stretchers or the postures. And then the fourth one is uh, breathing, deep breathing, and then of course, mindfulness, concentration, meditation. And then the final one is samadhi, which is freedom, divine enlightenment, becoming one with Brahman or one with the universe, whatever that oneness is for you. Now, that's what yoga is in a nutshell. That's what it's always been. Now, notice of all of those eight branches, how many of those were exercise? <laughs> Maybe one, if you consider okay. number three, the asanas, that was the one that is dedicated to stretching and postures. But if you look at the history of yoga, there were only maybe a handful of stretches, stretches associated with yoga. And there was like bending down and touching your toes. There was nothing like downward dog, the boat pose, the mountain pose, the warrior pose. All of those were invented about uh, maybe 100 years ago, not even, probably about 80 years ago. And they weren't even made popular until about 30 to 50 years ago. And so really- and Let me exercise... jump in just really quick, yeah, because please. I think that's a really important distinction that you just made, that yoga properly was a part of religion and that uh, stretching exercise was only one part of this, these eight branches. And that you said these poses only like in the last 50 to 100 years became part of yoga because what false religions do and very smartly is they usurp parts of the natural world, right? So like people stretch, it's good for our bodies. So now they're going to throw a label on it and they're going to use music and you're going to use these other branches um, to bring it into their religion. So I think that's an important distinction because you can stretch. You can even do stretches that might have a name in yoga, but you have nothing to do with that. You're not using that word. You're not using that music. And I think that's really important right. to understand. You can go and take a stretch class. You can stretch at home and you're not doing anything wrong. That's totally different from taking a yoga class. And that's, I think, evident in what you said with this being a newer part of what yoga is. Right, exactly. And I'll come back to that in one second. But I, I just wanted to say that asana it means seated position. And so really the asanas for most of history were just different seated positions to practice meditation. And the only purpose of any exercise at all, even in hatha yoga, which was the least important part of hatha yoga, the only purpose of it was to make you strong so that you could sit for hours in meditation and lose yourself in the divine consciousness. Um, but as far as the exercises that we know today, it's very, very new. And they were taken and appropriated from other exercise forms. So for example, uh, Danish gymnastics, also no, uh, Swedish gymnastics, also known as medical gymnastics. These were came around in the early 1800s. And these medical gymnastics were to promote harmony of mind, body, and soul through stretching, breathing, and exercise. Does that sound familiar? That's literally what yoga is in a nutshell. And gymnastics had it first. Also, women's gymnastics were 
heavily focused on stretching, breathing, and health through this stretching. Um, mm -hmm. Also, Danish gymnastics, which were incredibly powerful and effective in making your body strong and flexible. In fact, they were so effective that the British National Army used it in their training. So there's also calisthenics. There's also contortionism, Western bodybuilding, modern day yoga. And I even put yoga in quotes because what, what we're doing as yoga today isn't even yoga, right. <laughs> technically speaking. But this modern day yoga appropriated all of these other exercise mm -hmm. forms and synthesized them into its own form uh, in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s. To early 1900s, mid 1900s, it started coming to the West. And around this time, it was an abomination if you even mentioned that to a yogi, because anyone who is serious about yoga could not even consider you a, a serious conversation if you were talking about exercise, something so profane in this <laughs> spiritual practice. And so for, it took decades and decades for the exercises even to catch on in yoga. Nobody around the world took it seriously. Very few people until Hatha yoga started popularizing it and the vinyasa style yoga started popularizing it. And really around the 1950s to the 1980s, you could count on one hand the amount of yoga studios that were in America. And now it's a billion dollar uh, industry because we just take everything and commercialize it. Mm -hmm. And this is really important because this is a brilliant evangelization tactic. And false gods, right? I.e. devils, right? I.e. You know, fallen angels are brilliant in the evangelization in for what is bad, right? That they do. And I think that's important that we're understanding like the way they're spreading it, seemingly usurping various forms of exercise. And then people become so defensive, justifiably so, because they're saying, I'm not doing any false religious things. I'm just exercising. And that's what's hard is that I think as Catholics, um, where the rubber meets the road often is in moments like these where we say, yeah, I'm not doing anything bad by this, but what this is is bad. So if if I'm going to stretch, let me stretch. Let me go to a stretch place. Don't do yoga. Stretch at home. Go to a different class. You know, I I always cringe uh, in Brian because I'm a certified Pilates trainer. I have one of the best certifications out there. I could go and teach anywhere in the world. It's so much fun. I love doing it. And we focus on spine health and helping to recover from injuries. And I've always incorporated stretching into my classes because stretching really isn't a part of yoga, but it, or sorry, of Pilates. It just happens naturally in some of the exercises that you're doing, which any exercise should ultimately lead you to be more stretched out. Uh, and with adding stretching, people have been so appreciative of it. And some people who don't know what Pilates is will be like, oh yeah, you teach yoga. And I'm like twitching as they say that. I do not teach yoga and yoga usurped <laughs> so much of what exercise um, has implemented for years for us. And that's what's funny because people will do, you know, a hot, um, hot yoga now, which is fantastic because it's got you nice and hot. You're sweating. You're getting everything out. And so I joke, I'm going to do a hot plotted Pilates in the summer. I'm just not going to turn on the AC for you guys. <laughs> You'll get all the benefits, right? Hey, really getting those toxins out. Uh, but they're totally separate things, whether it be dancing versus yoga, whether it be gymnastics versus yoga. Yoga is usurping and leading us and drawing us into this, this worship. And I think this is important, Brian, because my friend that I mentioned earlier, who after college really got into yoga and was doing all the different classes. And she even said like, yeah, I know we're not supposed to be doing it as Catholics. And again, I didn't really get it at the time and either. And she said, you know, my anxiety is going away. I'm healthier. I'm eating better. I'm sleeping better. All these things. And then lo and behold, guess what? 
she no longer practices her Catholic faith. She's traveling all over the world to some of these spiritual places that a lot of the yogis like to go to. And she's all about the new age now. And it started Mm -hmm. with yoga. It started with just trying to work to be healthier. And I think that that's what's frustrating about the new age is that it presents itself as a better version of yourself. Make more money, you know, but it turns into a false religion that is truly stealing souls today. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And uh, before I address it, I just want to go back to something else you said correctly, is that if people want to do the exercises themselves apart from the classes at home, maybe with a video or something, that's completely fine. There are... I don't want to use the word extremist, but there are people in the Catholic faith who say you can't even do exercises that are associated with yoga because they're all named with demons and stuff. And I agree that we shouldn't go to classes and do yoga, but if we want to do them on our own, these 99% of these exercises preceded yoga. They weren't even part of yoga when they were invented. So the exercises are just exercises. They're fine. It's like what you said when we get into the classes and the jargon and the uh, chanting and the bowing and the breathing, which is really just breath energy from the goddess Shakti and many other things that people don't realize, or even Hatha yoga, which is the physical posture form of yoga. That's the most dangerous one because it gets into uh, Kundalini, which uh, exorcist Warren can actually possess you and it's very dangerous. So there's really a lot of hidden dangers that we don't know of, but if we want to do it on our own, even when physical therapists come to your house and say, hey, I want you to do downward dog, some people get scrupulous about that. It's okay because the exercise itself is okay. <laughs> Okay. And it's this is we, a dumb name. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that <laughs> okay. But when we put it in the milieu of the classes, that's when it becomes problematic. And Pilates, as you said, is a great alternative. Pietra Fitness, P-I-E-T-R-A, is a strength and stretching fitness regime that's Catholic, and it's very effective. Yeah, and I appreciate you mentioning Pietra Fitness um, because it is does give an example. You know, some people say, "Well, I I actually myself pray when I go to my yoga class. I'm stretching." Pietra Fitness offers that um, if that's something you're looking for, and they have online videos, and you can stretch at home. And when I was in high school, I remember I'd be stretching during dance class, and I'd be praying my rosary. It was a great time sitting here. You know, a great time to multitask, and also when you're relaxed. Again, it's yoga has usurped so much of the fitness world today, and we need to take it back. And it's interesting, my producer, Patrick Alog, just said, you know, yoga is almost like a gateway drug to leave the faith, it seems. And it's true because this is a whole nother theme that we're seeing in the culture right now uh, that is silent and deadly that is happening. And that is we're seeing many um, women in particular who are getting into the yogi movement and you know they're married they have children and they go from going into the yogi movement to kind of starting to leave the catholic faith eventually uh, to many leaving their families i hear stories about this all the time uh, from people who said we had a great family great marriage spouse started doing yoga i can think of one family we know really well great excellent catholic family the wife started teaching yoga after you know it kind of changing her life in terms of fitness and she left her family and to this day my jaw drops like Mm. i cannot understand this woman from my childhood who left her family that is not Mm. her and so i think that gateway drug to leaving your faith is true because it's pulling with these false spirits us in a very brilliant way away from our catholic faith and pray love Yeah, go ahead. Did you ever see Pray Love, the movie, or read the book? No, I didn't. 
Oh, it was about a woman who was having troubles in her marriage, and she um, and Julie Roberts plays the woman in the movie. And uh, the the father actually wants to work it out, but the woman's like, "No, I just need time for myself." So she starts traveling and getting into a lot of this stuff, and she ends up falling in love, leaving her family forever, and never coming back. And you're right; I mean, so many people do this, especially in on Sundays. They yoga becomes church. They feel relaxed. They meditate at the end. They feel like their burdens are going, and so they leave the true God of the universe for a false counterfeit. Brian, thank you so much for joining us because I think that this candid conversation is so helpful. And that example of the movie, you know, this counterfeit um, culture that is being handed to us that as Catholics, again, we got to draw the line in, line in the sand. It's not about being judgmental. It's about what the early Christians did to begin with saying, you know what, this isn't a part of what is good, holy, true, and beautiful. Here's where I can see what is good. And this is what I can appreciate and see, but we've got to distinguish it and really pull ourselves out of this cultural kind of grayness that I think so often it's easy to live in by saying, you know, you do you, it's not a big deal. You know, men and women um, aren't different or, you know, men can marry men and women can marry women, all of these different things, all the way down to, again, what may seem like just exercise with yoga, we have to make a choice. And as you said, I really appreciate Brian, we can do these exercises, but cut out the music, cut out the chanting, cut out the verbiage, and go back to what yoga usurped, and that is stretch and healthy fitness that has been a part of um, fitness and health for people for forever. And I think that's a really important distinction. Brian Mercieri here on Trending with Tim, where you can find him at catholictruth.org. That's catholictruth.org. Also check out some of his books, especially Counterfeit Spirituality. I'll be right back today on Trending with Tim. I want to hear from you. Are you ready for Lent? Do you have a plan yet? If so, what are you doing? The number is 1-888-914-9149. Also, big news coming out of Hollywood with Penn Badgley on the Variety cover, but also sharing a lot about stepping out of the sex scenes and pushing back against the show creator of You on Netflix. This February 24th, our show sponsor, Colby Academy, is hosting a virtual college fair where high school students can hear from top Catholic colleges and universities from around the world. Register at relevantradio.com slash Colby. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Every day we have opportunities to compromise our deeply held convictions and beliefs. We've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. And we have to make choices. Sometimes we're tempted. Sometimes we screw up. Sometimes you do a really good job. Um, I was looking at the story recently of actor Penn Badgley. He's on the latest Variety cover. And in his podcast, he made a big and interesting announcement. Now, if you don't know who actor Penn Badgley is, he's in, he's a lead in the series of Netflix's You. Uh, they just released their fourth season. Um, most of the season's out. More episodes are coming out in a few weeks here. And here's the bottom line. He said he doesn't want to do sex scenes anymore. 
It's interesting to me because he also actually said he doesn't want to do any more intimate scenes. He's not just talking about sex scenes. He's wanting to avoid, you know, physical contact type of scenes, including kissing, etc. He says intimate scenes. He doesn't just say sex scenes. And let me just add, it's interesting. He doesn't even say sex itself because he's so uncomfortable even just bringing that up in polite conversation. Uh, Listen to this, where he's talking on his podcast with some of his co-hosts about how he stood up against the creator of you and what her response is. It's actually quite fascinating. You know, as your friend, I do know a little bit of the backstory of why there's less intimacy this season, and I think people would appreciate hearing it. I mean, I asked Sarah Gamble, creator, can I just do no more intimacy scenes? This is actually a decision I'd made before I took the show. I, I don't think I've ever mentioned it publicly, but but it's one of the main things is like, do I want to put myself back on a career path where I'm just always a romantic lead? Like fidelity in every relationship, and especially my marriage, is important to me. And yeah, it just got to a point where I don't want to do that. So I said to Sarah, like, my desire would be zero <laughs> to go from 100 to zero. But I signed this contract. I, I, mm-hmm. I signed up for the show. I know what I did. You can't take this aspect out of the DNA of the concept. So so how much less can you make it was my question to them. And 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 she didn't even bat an eye. She was really glad that I that I was that honest. And she was sort of, I want to say almost like empowered, or she she yeah, she had a really positive response. And they they came back with a phenomenal reduction. Isn't this fascinating to hear that he was surprised by the response of the creator of you? Um, that she did not require him to just go full stream ahead with these sexual scenes, these intimate scenes that he didn't feel comfortable with. He wanted to honor his marriage. It was a decision that he made. And wasn't it interesting? All he had to do was say he doesn't want to do it anymore. And she honored that. She literally honored that. And I think this is a wave. We're starting to see more people are willing to say no in Hollywood. Now, in the past, some people have actually been canceled for this. And for example, um, former Desperate Housewives star Neil McDonough, he is a devout Catholic, and he has drawn the line. He won't even do scenes where he's kissing a woman. And he was blacklisted for doing this, but I think we're seeing a change right now where people have such public profiles that someone such as Penn Badgley is very popular, um, not just because he has a little bit of clout today. He can say, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. No more intimate seeds. But because he's willing to say no and then also willing to be public about it, I think this is one of the benefits of the post-Me Too era is that while Hollywood's still doing filthy, disgusting, and inappropriate things, and they're still grooming people and pressuring people to do things in order to get to the top, at the same time, people have such public platforms today that they don't just have to say behind the scenes, no, with regard to doing intimate scenes in the work they're doing, but they can say it out loud and hold These companies, these writers, these show creators, these producers and directors accountable. And that's really important. Now, again, people are going to point out and say, well, Penn Badgley is phasing out. He's not completely, you know, shutting the door. No, he's trying to save his career at the same time as saying, this is something I don't want to do anymore. And he said it. And he's not just talking about really, really intimate scenes that no one should be watching or engaging in on television. He's just talking about intimate scenes that because that person's not his wife, 
it just goes too far when without going too far. And these are things that we should be emboldened by. To not compromise. I always think of the words from the gospel according to Mark chapter 8. Where it says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And I remember as I was uh, heading to college and coming out of the dance world and a lot of things happened. I thought I was going to be dancing and dancing even potentially with a dance company while I was in college. A lot of things happened and I didn't have a car and I was on campus and God just had a different plan for me than I had planned. And... But I was okay with stepping out of the dancing world because there was a shift happening in the dancing world at that time. It used to be that we were told, you know, be classy, uh, be sassy, that's fine, but don't try to um, sexualize your dancing. Yet that was changing and that's changed in the dancer world today. And I felt this compromise taking place. And I didn't feel like I was at the point in my work as a dancer where I was necessarily going to have the strength to say no. There was so much opportunity presented before me. And I had this deep desire to serve um, through pro-life ministry. And I had this deep desire to go to a strong Catholic university. And I chose that in part because I knew that I was too weak to do the other but two, because God had a plan in store for me. And so sometimes I think we're scared to say no when we think that our career or our life or our relationships might be on the line. But God blesses us and guides us and gives us so much more in a, in a, in, and in abundance than we could ever even imagine when we say no to compromise and we cling to him and we chase after what can seem like the harder path, and it is harder in some ways, but it's much, much better, easier, grace-filled, and joy-filled choosing to unite yourself with God and choosing to unite yourself with God even when you stumble along the way. God knew that we would. Even when choosing him, we struggle. I mean, just read the work of St. Paul in the New Testament. He talks about this constant tug and pull battle he's having with his desire for God and and concupiscence and just that tendency towards sin. You're not the only one who's struggling with it. And yet it's so easy for us to be, woe is me, or to give up. God gave you confession. Get your butt to confession. Confess your sins. Pick your life back up. Put it together. And let's decide what to do this Lent. That's why I am curious, what are you doing this Lent? Do you have a plan? We're just days away. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. I almost feel like this is National Catholic Awareness Day because uh, everyone shows up, right, to Mass on Ash Wednesday, even people who aren't Catholic. And I've always asked, you know, why does that happen? Some people say, you know, the theory is it's the one day of the year that you get something. Same with Palm Sunday. Um, and it's also the day where I think people have this common understanding, like, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we can all acknowledge that. How often, you know, when some people are scared to wear ashes in public and then you wear them in public and you find out it's, again, National Catholic Awareness Day. Everyone else who has ever been Catholic or is interested in Catholicism uh, is wanting to go running to get their ashes. You know, that would be a really fun and funny thing to do. I remember as a kid, we always ended up for some reason, um, like just being in a lot of public places on Ash Wednesday. And there were so many young people who would say, oh, 
oh, it's Ash Wednesday. And they were convicted. They hadn't been to a church or in a church in a while, but just that simple witness of wearing the ashes was a reminder to them. So I'm watching on social media, and one of the big things I've been saying leading into Lent is that we need to prayerfully discern what we're doing and not just make up all these sacrifices and that not necessarily be what God's calling you to do. And so one of the responses I really love hearing is that I'm still praying about it, that I'm praying and prayerfully discerning what I will do this Lent, what I will give up, what I will concentrate on. Uh, I know a popular thing is to give up social media. Why is giving up social media for Lent a good thing? Because we're addicted. But the thing is, is that you need to start now figuring out if you're going to give up social media for Lent, how you will transition back into social media after Lent with profound prudence or not use it at all. I think that's important because just giving up social media, although that's a great sacrifice, it should lead to greater spiritual growth and not just be 40 days of an intense penances and giving things up. It should be that it's actually affecting change in you, in your life, and eradicating sin and building virtue. These are very important elements of Lent. And remember, prayer, fasting, almsgiving are the three things made up during Lent. And so what we do during Lent those sacrifices that we make prayerfully should fall in line with all three elements of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so taking this time over the weekend to sit, really pray about it, discern, ask our God, God, if you don't know what you're working on yet, you have no idea, ask God to reveal that predominant sin in your life that you're really struggling with. St. Teresa of Avila talks about how there's always that predominant sin that's there behind everything else and that that is the one thing that we should really focus on when we're trying to achieve spiritual growth and we will. So ponder, prayerfully discern, and get ready because here comes Lent 2023 and it's time to eradicate sin from our lives and grow closer to Christ building virtue.